last week we were off i can't believe it how was your trip mel just kidding (laughs) we're pre-recording this so we're actually going to talk about her trip next time so this week though we have a brand new book from ella good our snowy night so you're getting a little christmas treat at the end of october so So many christmas books are already out i know we actually there was a couple of ads that people booked in october for christmas books and i was like Fuck, we need to the new release post that's going to go up tomorrow, yeah. well, it's technically in the past, is like, yeah. there was like 10. And it's October 3rd today. Yep. That's insane. Yep. Oh my God. I, I love like, it. I love it. Crazy. I'm like, fucking bring it on. Bring it on. Just go ahead and just hit me with a good time. See what I do. <laughs> Watch me get up my Christmas tree. Speaking of, you fucking whore. I know. Oh my God. My mom is a fucking whore. She, this this bitch got Christmas lights up yesterday. It's October 2nd. This bitch is getting Christmas lights. Like, beware. People are going to be climbing on your house to put their Christmas lights on. And I'm like, damn, they're putting them on. I'm just thinking in my head, I'm like, oh, they're ahead of schedule. They probably have bookings. I'll Mm -hmm. wait till November to turn them on. this bitch is smart over there. She's you know so fucking smart. She decorates for Halloween too. Mm-hmm. She got purple lights. She's so fucking smart. So that she can have them for Halloween and Christmas. It's so smart. It's so smart. She should have done green too. She could have done green and that would have worked for both. But, but the purple, because you had pink last year. I always have pink. I can't change it. I just can't bring myself to do it. (laughs) I love the pink. It's so fun. Like, it's just me. It's the pink cow. (sighs) No. And, you know, like, we don't really decorate much on the inside for Halloween. It's all outside. But there is so much we have to do outside. And it's like, I thought we were going to start this weekend, but then we had that big hurricane that came through. So we're like, let's wait a week. If you so. want to see somebody's house and somebody who's been working on it for like already weeks, go to Celia Aaron's page. <laughs> it is disgusting. She has skeletons climbing up her house. Mm, that's awesome. She spends hours a day. Hours. She sh- it does is she like insane. it? Does she like, like Halloween or does she feel like obligated does to do this? Does she like Halloween? I think she's mm-hmm. obsessed. <laughs> I think she's the program. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, how come pumpkin spice gets to start like at the end of September mm-hmm. and you guys will get it all the way through November and shit, mm-hmm. but we won't get Christmas cookie oh, until December no. and then it's cut off right at the end <laughs> and it's always out of fucking stock. No, I thought we got it in November. I thought they snuck it in, like at Thanksgiving. Don't they like sneak it in? Still, they give Chris pumpkin spice way more time. I think I think people like PSLs more, which I don't understand. How come then? If that is true, why Mm. is sugar cookie always sold out? Yeah, I have to go to different locations. 
sometimes because it's sold out at this one. I have to drive across it's town. So to the other fucking Starbucks. good, so good. Then they had like and a toasted Christmas cookie last year too. They had a creme oh, a creme brulee. One. Yes, the creme brulee. They and had we're it, like, a Starbucks in my town. Oh, I'm getting one too, bitch. They're building it right now. I keep they're building you a bitch. it out too. They said they're hoping before <laughs> Christmas that it should be done. I'm so angry at you for getting Christmas lights that I keep calling you bitch. I'm sorry. Dude, I got in a war with somebody over Starbucks. Oh, my God. I'm not shocked. No, I'm a not shocked at all. On, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Starbucks. <laughs> I don't even. <clears throat> like, this is what this guy said to me. Mm-hmm. I, this was, first off, it was the audacity that got me. Or I wouldn't have said anything. I oh, it's a man? Anything. I'm shocked. This is my shocked face. So, this is the man. This is what he said. He goes, no one better go to Starbucks and Carney. Choose Mojo's. It's better. So somebody took his status and shared it in the Carney group. And I said, and so I went to his page, his original status. Mm-hmm. And I said, how about you stop telling other people what to do while we enjoy, while you enjoy your Mojo's sludge and we sip it on our fresh frappes. <laughs> And he says, how about you fuck off my post? And I said, how, yeah, I said how about you learn when you post public, you deserve what you get. Don't talk shit. There won't be shit. Sunglass emoji. Then he said, it wasn't talking shit. It was an opinion. You're the one who hopped on someone else's post who didn't even know what they were talking about. Grow up, love. And then he blocked me before I could say this, which is what I responded I screenshot. I said, I said, school's in session, love. An opinion is, I don't like Starbucks. An asshole says, no one better go to Starbucks. Take several seats. So then I screenshotted it and I took it to the Carney group. And I was like, somebody let Brandon know I won since he blocked me. <laughs> and now, and there was like this full-blown war, people fighting on Starbucks. And I was fucking with people. Like, just making clown jokes at them and they were getting uh. so mad but now anytime somebody posts about starbucks i laughed so hard because i got in the group the other day and somebody posted something about when starbucks going to be finished and the admins had shut off commenting in two minutes <laughs> you've ruined starbucks for everyone this is why you can't have nice things i was like i'm gonna get kicked out of this group because the next day a mom goes can somebody tell this because they took a picture of a kid's car they blocked out the license plate uh-huh. she was like they almost plowed into the side of my car in this parking lot they need to watch where they're going i have three children and i said yeah. somebody needs to stop plowing you <laughs> But what she is was cool. wrong with you? But she laughed, so she's oh. cool. <laughs> I was like, it's only a matter of time. They're getting me out of this group. Oh, too. for sure. You're you're basically asking for it at this time. You're like, what? I got kicked out of a bathtub group. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you remember? I got kicked out of a fucking a, gr- a Facebook group dedicated to bathtubs. Uh, you know what? I'll live with it. Uh, I'll accept that. That's, I that's told, yeah, and that the whole game, like I was on the Starbucks thing, and somebody was fighting back and forth with me, which goes on to the millennial thing. Yes, I, and okay. I said to her, she, mm-hmm. I, I think she was young, mm-hmm. and I, she was like trying to go back and forth with me, and I was like, you're not gonna win a war of words with me. 
This is the mm-hmm. battle of the wits, and you are clearly unarmed. Mm-hmm. I'm a millennial. I could do this all day. <laughs> all day. <laughs> <laughs> I will do this all day. You know, th- uh, we had talked about this earlier before we started recording, and I was like, let's hit the button. So, but I saw this post that was talking about Gen X, and technically that's my, that's my, my little, my little bubble is Gen X. So, and it said something like Gen X was the participation trophy generation. My favorite people are Gen X. I disagree with, but whatever. If you want to say it, you want to say it, that's fine. But this lady was saying, she was like, I'm okay with being the participation trophy because we have stopped. What is it? She said, we have generally gener- generationally changed behavior. She was like, because I'm going to show you a clip. And it was on TikTok. And she showed a clip of these two football teams, these kids like peewee football teams. And they said there was a special needs little boy who wanted to score a touchdown, who had always dreamed of it. So these two teams got together and pretended to like try to tackle him and miss Mm -hmm. as he ran the ball downfield. And she was like, if this is what the participation trophy generation did, I'll die happy. And I just love that because it was like, yes, we're going to, we're going to make this moment special for this child because it doesn't have to be about winners and losers. There can be a bigger lesson that's taught here. I feel like generation X was the tough generation. They raised themselves. They latchkey kids. They, they could Mm -hmm. do it all. They could do it all and they could do it all from four years old. You know, that's what it's funny to me sometimes, you know, I hear my parents, you know, talk about what they had to do when they were younger and stuff, but I, and and this is going to, this is going to fluff a little feathers, but I think that the boomers are just the absolute most selfish generation. I think because I think it was because they were, and, and, and I say this with love too, because I love some of some boomers I really love, but I say this because their parents were from the depression era where they didn't have anything, you know? And so when they grew up and they went off to fight in world war one and two and all this stuff, and you know, they come back and they want to create a life and they want to give their children the things that they didn't have because they grew up in the depression era. Right. So they want to give their kids every opportunity in the fifties and sixties. And they're like, you will have a different life than I have. You have a choice. You can decide what makes you happy and you can do that. So then the boomers became the me generation. So it's like, what do I want to do? What's going to make me happy? How am I going to succeed? Because they were taught by this generation that had nothing Mm -hmm. to to live, you know, to like do your life. But the boomers also got to get in on buying cheap housing. Yeah. Yeah. And that was also, again, that was, again, part of the baby boom generation when people came back from World War II and they had, they started building houses and they sold the American dream and that this is what you're supposed to have. And so the boomers went out and started, a lot of it, the boomer generation is because of credit cards, you know, that, that, that didn't exist before them. And so then they create debt and all this other things and, and, and all the good and bad. And every generation has plus and minuses. So being raised by a boomer generation, which is, I feel, again, a pretty selfish group of people because they were taught to think of themselves first. Gen X comes through and they're like, well, fuck, I guess I got to figure this out. 
And so that's why I think like, I know that my parents had it harder than I did. And I know my grandparents had it harder than they did, that they started from nothing. And I obviously started well above that because of their struggles and because of what they did. I had advantages, advantages. I had privilege. I have all of these things because of what they did. And I get that. But there is also an emotional gap between depression era and Gen X that no matter what we were given and the blocks we were, the privilege that we were handed, there was an emotional deficit from that generation that we are now undoing. And millennials and Gen X's right now are doing the fucking labor to undo the emotional damages of the depression era generation. That's how I've processed this. As I've seen this play out between my grandparents, my parents, my siblings and our children, my nieces and nephews, you know, like as I see, you know, my niece is about to be what? Oh my God. Is she about to be 17? Jesus Christ. Like, you know, as I see this like generation come up and the healthy conversations that we have about therapy and emotional needs and stuff, which a lot of boomers would just slack off and they would laugh. Yeah. <laughs> laugh and tell us that we're weak. We're pussies. We're the participation trophy. And it's like, no, we're undoing generational trauma that you fucked up. So like, that's what, that's what I sort of see it as. And so, and, and again, I, you know, and to defend the boomers as well, like, you know, my parents too, we're only able to know what we know when we know it. I think so, to a degree, they wanted us to do better. Cause I know to like my parents, college was push, 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 mm-hmm. push. Yeah. But then out came this generation of millennials that are technically the most educated mm-hmm. of all of the generations mm-hmm. and they're the least heard. Yeah. And they're also Which the ones mind with the, blowing and they with, can't find, they can't afford housing. They can't yeah, get They're the most in debt. <laughs> and they're yeah. in debt, but they mm-hmm. were pushed into thinking mm-hmm. that college was the only way. Yeah. Because they, because the generations before didn't have that advantage. And so that's why they were, you know, it was instilled in them to give your kids every advantage that you didn't have and put your, you know, your heavy hopes and dreams. And I can't imagine how this is, especially for, you know, people our age who are children of immigrants, you know, that they've come to this country and they have the weight of their, you know, their families hopes on them and what they have to achieve and that their success is in turn the family success and you know that all these nuances of of what their their success means and looks like to their family so i just you know and i i don't have that experience personally but i know at least from my own i can't imagine how difficult that is to go through that sort of situation where you've got you know your You've got all these other things that hang, you know, that like go with it. So, yeah, I don't know. it's just a different way of raising. Mm-hmm. 
even my parents were great parents, but I raised my kids differently than they raised me. Absolutely. Because you learn as you go. And, you know, uh, my parents didn't have these tools because they weren't given to them by their parents. Yeah. And my grandparents I, didn't have it because they weren't given, to, you know, it wasn't given to them by their parents. I have very progressive parents, but I think I have very progressive parents because like I said, my mom and dad had to raise one of my sister's children mm-hmm. who ended up being transgender all mm-hmm. kinds so they were very like immersed into so they're very I feel like progressive for their age consider yeah I would say for sure yeah of other mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. but I don't think that the older generation gets some of that passed on to be able to do that mm-hmm. to to respect boundaries, to listen to those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a different. So here's my example. And again, this is from my own experience. My grandmother was one of 12 children and my mother was one of six. And so my grandmother and her generation, they did not have time to consider emotions and how you felt because there were 12 children who were trying to not starve you know like they were all trying to just survive and so they were in a survival mentality through their depression era family you know so it's like when they get to my mom's generation who is my mom was one of six children she grew up on a farm I mean it was hard work and her dream was to get off the farm and take care of herself and have her own money and not have to take care of anybody else because that's what she did. You know, it was like to see, you know, how well adjusted she is being raised by someone who never really considered, you know, that emotional growth to be a priority because it couldn't be a part. That was a luxury. Like being able to, you know, stop and think about how you feel was a luxury that they didn't have. So it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, that I'm so well adjusted. I think, I mean, I'll have a lot of therapy, but, you know, I think that like, again, we, we do better as we learn and as we grow. And I think if somebody, like I said, somebody wants to call us a participation trophy, generation I'm good with it I just get excited when I see like my kids interacting because I get because sometimes I get worried I live in a very rural Republican place and you know the other day I don't know how Peyton Peyton is very social Mm -hmm. and he's like which I didn't realize how social he was until now. He's like leading like three groups at school. Oh, that's right. You, we were talking about this on the podcast. Is yeah. this one we, he was talking about with his friend where he they had like a fallen out? Yeah. Okay. okay. And now he's gone to school and now he's like the teachers have elected him to – the teachers have run like three different groups. What? I know. I and Isabel that. was telling me, she was like, oh, there's this kid I used to play basketball with. And the other day I asked him because he said he was in Peyton's grade. I was like, do you know Peyton? And he's like, yeah, I know Peyton. Peyton's cool. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Oh, that's so sweet. Because Peyton's really sweet, but he seems a little dorky to me. You know, he's a little... <laughs> You know, it's a little too nice. <laughs> yeah. But he's assertive nice. You know what he said to me the other day? What? He had a growth spurt. Mm-hmm. You watch Stranger Things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't watch Stranger Things. I don't know anything about it. 
I know he watches it. Mm-hmm. He had a growth spurt. I bought him a bunch of stuff, but then I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Lunchbox. Have you ever heard of that website? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get him a couple of Stranger Things t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll set his clothes out for him so they'll at least match because he doesn't yeah. give a shit. Mm-hmm. And every, I kept putting the Stranger Things shirt out and I would realize it would end up back in the closet and he was never putting it on. So mm-hmm. I asked about it last night. I was like, why don't you ever wear that Stranger Things shirt? I got the thing that was like $30. Mm-hmm. I got that one special. And he was like, because it scarred me. They what? killed cats, mom. Oh, is it the demi dog? <laughs> and I go, they killed cats, and that's that's literally what I said. Yeah. they killed a cat, and he was like, I don't know if you're okay with killing cats, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walked out of the room. I'm like, oh my god, what, what the fuck? That's too funny. Oh, I love it. He's so sweet. Who's gonna wear the Stranger Things shirts? Oh, send it my way. I'll wear it. No, actually, I can't because Lydia. That was one thing. Out of the whole fucking the whole series, that was the thing that upset her the most. <laughs> she was like, "Is the cat?" Kate I was like, was "Don't like, look." I'm I, out I, of I, here. I covered her eyes. I was like, "You can't watch this." And she was like, "What's happening?" I was like, "You don't want to know. Don't don't ask. <laughs> don't ask what happened to the cat." Peyton <laughs> was like done, but I'll tell you, you know. Like I said, this new generation, they're they're done. They're done. They don't put up with it. They're like, fuck you, we're out. I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about Ella Good. So we've got our so- Snowy Night, which you are about to hear the first installment of. This book is in connection with Oh Snowy Night, which is a lumberjack story, which I love. That's adorable. Um, this story though, that you're going to listen to our snowy night is a married romance. So it's so hard to find a really good married romance book. So this is awesome. They're like in a cabin. He's like up there. She goes up there to like see him. Right. And it's like, yeah, she goes up there cause she thinks they're having problems and he's mm-hmm. really going up there to trap her. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Love Obviously. it. Obviously. Like, they're right. never going nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Ella has a new release coming up. It's called Chasing You. It's a little sister trope, which is adorable. And then free right now is the book, The Three of Us. And that's the college menage story, right? There is that? Yeah. So it's college books, menage right? story. Okay. It's mm-hmm. about, well, they were in a relationship, but it wasn't sexual in high school. Like, they all knew they were going to be together. And they've okay. been waiting for her to get because she was a grade behind them to oh, get to okay. the high school. It's actually very rom-com funny. Okay. Cute. All right, cool. Yeah, so make sure you check that out. This week's giveaway is a $50 gift card. So make sure you enter that. I'll try to post it up early so we have lots of time to enter it. And then I'll read the book bio for this one for our snowy night, even though it's like 10 paragraphs long. <laughs> It it took one look for Rowan to fall for Charlie. He wifed her immediately, as in two weeks after their first meeting. Shocked by his own lack of self-restraint and the dark thoughts of possession and ownership that filled him, Rowan fears his precious wife will leave him if she finds out how he really feels, how crazy in love with her he really is. It took one look for Charlie to fall for Rowan. She said yes when he asked her to marry him, even though it was only two weeks after they met. It was her fairy tale in the making. Her happily ever after doesn't last long, though. 
The ink is barely dry on their marriage certificate when her hard-pursuing husband suddenly becomes cold and distant. Off on a business, more off on business more than he's at home. Fed up, she hands him divorce papers. Rowan knows he's in for a fight, but he's not signing those divorce papers and he's not letting Charlie get away. Even if it means kidnapping her to a small cabin in her hometown in the dead of winter. If she's snowed in, she can't leave him. He knows he can never let her go and all the control he's barely held on to snaps. His wife is about to find out how truly obsessed he is with her. Love it. All right. Let's do it. Let's send them into the first installment. All right. See you guys on the other side. Our Snowy Night by Ella Good. Read for you by Kit Swan. Chapter One. Rowan. This is a... My gaze runs from the smoked, stained, exposed beams in the ceiling to the dirty oak floors that appear as if they haven't been cleaned since the cabin was built 20 years ago. And I try to conjure up something complimentary about this ramshackle contraption called a home that realtor in town said was the only place available for the low price of 80 grand. Place, I finish. This is Charlie's hometown. And I convinced her to take this trip with me to hash out the details of our divorce. It was a stalling tactic. Besides, it's Christmas Eve, and we should be together. She's still my wife. I've been stalling successfully for the last two years of our four-year marriage. Every time my wife has turned her sad eyes in my direction and asked for us to talk, I've conveniently had a business meeting, a deal to close, a property to see. For two years, over 700 days, I've spent more time away from my wife than with her for the sole purpose of saving my marriage. I think I'm losing my mind at this point. And now, in a last-ditch effort to convince her that divorce is the worst decision she could make, I bring her to what amounts to little more than a dilapidated shed in the middle of a snowstorm in her hometown. At least she'll be trapped here for now. We barely made it in the snow, already coming down so hard. Rule number one in a business setting, never show weakness. I take the bag from her slackened hand and march toward the bedroom. Charlie trudges behind me. Her childhood home is occupied by her brothers and sisters with all their kids. We'd never have a moment alone there. Only one bedroom. Her tone is flat and resigned. It's the defeat in her voice, as if marriage to me has sucked the life out of her. And that cuts me to the core. She tried to move into the spare room in our main home. I couldn't have that. I moved my shit to the other room to not have an all-out fight with her. I still slip into the bed at night. As much as I try and give her space, it's damn hard especially when we're under the same roof and I'm not traveling for work. We'll make the best of it. The odd thing is that once we are in bed, our defenses down, our clothes off, I can make myself believe she's still in love with me, or at least in lust. 
She's maddeningly responsive to every touch and caress and kiss. She's eager, too, willing to do anything I want and asking for more. If she only knew all the dark, fucked-up shit I wanted to do. I'm always fighting for control in our bedroom. My Charlie is so sweet and pure. I'm not so sure she'd be so eager if she had any clue to the dark thoughts I have when it comes to her. She's the only one to ever draw them from me. Outside of bed, we barely talk. She rarely smiles, rarely initiates a conversation. And when she does bring up a topic of conversation, it's change. She wants to move. She wants to get a job. She wants more friends. The message is clear. Life with me is not satisfying. She's searching for something else, the same as when I met her. Though that stopped when we got married. She was happy and content until she wasn't. We can't seem to find our way back to that place. I've tried to make myself absent. Leaving her alone seems like what she wants, but even that does not make her happy either. I'm at a loss as to what turned my beautiful, vivacious bride into this sullen, silent housewife. It's killing me. I don't understand why we had to come all the way to Winter Falls to discuss the divorce. Her clear voice slices through the air. I stiffen so she can't see how hard the blow lands. You grew up here. I thought you might like the change of scenery. Besides, it didn't make sense to have it in the house. I still live there and plan to do so in the future. Of course you do. Derision drips from her words. What does that mean? Nothing. She inspects the bathroom and then the kitchen. Her finger swipes along the side of the small stainless steel sink and comes up blackened. Even during all this, she still wears her wedding ring. Mine will never leave my finger. Sorry, I say stiffly. She shrugs. It's not bad. Dirty, but charming. At least it's got character. I don't understand her. This shack is nothing but a few sticks and nails, while our home is a stately three-story mansion with a storied history. When she first moved into the home my grandmother passed down to me, I thought she loved it. She exclaimed over the garden in the back, with its intricate hedges and beautiful fountains. She loved the third-floor attic with its vaulted ceilings and nooks tucked into the circular turret like structures at the corners of the old mansion. But somewhere along the line, her love for the home, much like her professed love for me, turned to distaste. Now the home is old and drafty, the woodwork overwhelming, the patterns dated. I don't know how it can be dated. The entire place was overhauled by a famous decorator. The woman had won some prize one of my real estate firms sponsored. 
She designed the interior of the new headquarters, and it was wildly different than the steel and glass and leather that every other commercial enterprise has adopted. It felt warm and inviting, and perfect for my grandmother's home, built a century ago. We'd had a dinner party, and I'd introduced Charlie to the decorator, thinking she would like to meet other women in the area. But Charlie took an instant dislike to the designer and demanded I stop working with her. I tried to explain to Charlie that I'd never hired her in the first place, one of the subsidiaries I owned did, and I didn't have jurisdiction over who they work with. She was angry after that and accused me of not listening to her. I sent a message to the real estate firm to move on to another decorator, but they had a four-year contract with a fairly large penalty clause. Four years isn't a long time, I decided. I never had Arabella invited to another house party and never mentioned her again. But since then, Charlie has hated the house. I think she sees it as an extension of myself, and everything associated with me turns her stomach. She doesn't like my sports car, my motorcycle, my office. Frankly, she doesn't like me and I want nothing more than for her to be happy. Suddenly, the door bursts open, causing the wood to bang sharply against the wall. Charlie jumps in surprise right into my arms. Instinctively, I wrap her tight against me. It's just the wind. I know. Her heart's thudding fast. She looks up at me, delicate and vulnerable. Her pink lips part slightly, as my cock, always at half-mast when she's around, hardens at the contact. Charlie, I groan. My hand sweeps up to the base of her neck and tugs her head back. I lower my mouth to hers. She might hate me, but she still loves this. Chapter Two, Charlie. I should push him away. Instead, I cling to him, allowing him to kiss me with all the passion he has for us when we're in the bedroom. The bedroom has never been a problem for us. It's the one place I know I have all of my husband's attention. It's also the one place I always feel desired when it comes to my husband. Charlie. Sweetheart, he groans my name as he lifts me. My feet leave the floor. He pins me to the nearest wall. Get me out, he orders. A rush of excitement fills me. It always does when Rowan turns into his dominating self in the bedroom. My body falls under his control. There's no stopping it. I go for his belt, freeing his cock. Memories of our wedding night flashed through my mind. We were so desperate for each other that we'd barely made it back to the hotel suite that night. I'd still been in my wedding dress when he slid inside of me, making me his wife in every way. I'll never forget that. Rowan was angry with himself for taking my virginity that way. I hadn't cared. The way his control shatters for me is one of the reasons I'd fallen in love with him so quickly. It's crazy how fast things can change. 
but I don't want to think about that now. I want to focus on this moment. This could be the last time I make love with my husband. Always ready for me, he says, when his fingers dip into the front of my panties to grab a hold of them. I grip his shoulders as he yanks them from my body. A second later, he's thrusting inside of me. Rowan, I gasp as my body tries to adjust to his massive size. My Rowan is big everywhere. He's a force to be reckoned with. Fuck, you're always so damn tight. I should have eaten you first. I close my eyes, trying to fight back my emotions. My sex contracts around his cock, wanting him to move. He holds me pinned to the wall with his cock deep inside of me. That's what happens when you're not having sex on the regular. I can't stop the tart reply from slipping past my lips. Oh, we still have sex on occasion when Rowan slips into my room. I could never tell that man no when he got his hands on me. But it's been a few months. Four very long months. My eyes fly open. Fuck me or put me down, I challenge. My words shock both of us. I'm not a prude. Well, not so much anymore. A lot of my shyness slipped away during our first year of marriage. When your husband makes love to you like he can't get enough, it helps with that. Rowan also tends to have a very dirty mouth. Or he had. Oh, I'll fuck you, wife. He pulls almost all the way out of me. Don't call me. My words are cut off when he thrusts all the way back inside of me. A moan leaves me instead as he starts to pump in and out of me. His thrusts are almost brutal, but I welcome every single one of them. The Rowan of our first year of marriage is coming through. The one I had fallen head over heels in love with. I'm getting a glimpse of that possessive man that could never get enough of me. But I know better than to hope that this side of him will stick around. Believing that will only lead to disappointment. Miss you. He grits out between thrusts. My heart flutters in my chest. Why can't he say those things to me when he's not inside of me? My orgasm is already building. It's been too long. No matter how many times I try to get myself off, it's never the same as what Rowan can do to me. The man owns my body. I think he even will after the ink is dry on the divorce papers. He grips my hips, lifting me and angling my hips to hit that sweet spot inside of me. Rowan, I cry out his name when the orgasm slams down on me. I cling to him as the pleasure rolls through my body in waves. He groans my name as he spills his own release deep inside of me. He buries his face in my neck as he thrusts a few more times. More of his seeds spills inside of me. Neither of us move as we try to catch our breath. Some of his release slips out, spilling down my thighs. When he starts to kiss my neck, I begin to drift back down to reality. I release my hold on him. I was pretty much clinging to him. I let my legs drop. 
Rowan stiffens for a moment before he shifts, letting his cock slip free of me. Did I hurt you? He asks, setting me back down on my feet. I hate the question. Does it matter? His head jerks up, his eyes locking with mine. It's a low blow. I know Rowan would never intentionally want to hurt me. Somehow he still manages to, though. Charlie, I'd never want to hurt you. I shake my head. No, that didn't hurt. In fact, that's the best thing you've done to me in a while. I smooth my hands down my dress, writing it the best I can. Charlie. You didn't use a condom, I blurt out. It's a ridiculous thing to say, and I know it, but I'm poking. When have I ever used a condom? You know I'm not on the pill. It messes with me. I told him that before we got married. He told me it didn't matter, that he planned on knocking me up anyway. That never did happen. I should be happy about that since we're now about to get divorced, but I'm not. You're my wife. I don't need a damn condom. I don't know what you've been up to or who you've been up to it with. The second the words are out of my mouth, I know I went too far. Rowan isn't a cheater. I'm poking again. I'm not sure why. It's not my nature, but I can't control it at this point. I'm always a pleaser when it comes to him. I adore doting on him. I hate fighting, but for some reason I'm itching for one now. I shouldn't be. I came here to get the papers signed. Liar. My heart and brain scream together at me. You're lucky I know you haven't been with anyone. How do you know that? There I go again, poking the bear, wanting him to snap. Then what? Then you get that darkness Rowan tries to hide from me. The darkness I see lurking in his eyes when we're in bed. I know. He steps into me, pressing me back until I hit the wall. I'm a married man. My dick belongs to my wife, a wife I'll never divorce. I gasp. You lied. You said you'd sign the papers. I said we'd talk, so I didn't lie. You're the liar. I flinch. You vowed to be mine, to love me in good times and bad until death do us part. I fight back tears because he's right. I need some air. He turns, stomping from the room. It's not long before I hear the front door open and slam shut. I see some things never change. Chapter Three Rowan My parents never fought. Their hatred was a silent but palpable thing. They stayed together because they had nowhere else to go. They were miserable people, and their unhappiness spread like a contagious disease until they lived on this island that no one else cared to visit. As their only son, I was trapped there, only escaping through a football scholarship to a small college with an excellent academic record. I played sports like it was my job and spent the rest of my days taking as many finance and economics classes as possible. I made connections, 
and with some savvy decisions and a fuck ton of luck, I ended up with a fortune. I bought my parents a new home, new cars, new everything, thinking that without the pressure of wondering where the next paycheck was coming from, they could close the distance between them. It didn't work. If anything, the money allowed them to retreat further into their solo spheres. I vowed I wouldn't entangle myself with another person, and I was able to keep that promise until I met Charlie. All it took was one look at her. We arrived at the cash register at the small sundry shop on the first floor of my building. I was buying the newspaper like I do every morning. She was buying a package of mints before an interview for a job she didn't particularly want, but needed so she could pay the rent. Her roommate had abruptly moved out, leaving Charlie with a two-bedroom apartment that she couldn't afford. She was younger and too trusting. I had an instant urge to protect her from the world. Growing up in a small town, she wasn't ready for a big city. I rode up the elevator with her, babysat her purse while she was interviewed, and bought her lunch afterwards. I also took her home that night and slept on her sofa. I wanted to be in her bed, but decided we would be married soon and would do it right. It was torture to be near her, to kiss her and hold her, and not bury my cock inside her wet heat. I managed to make it until the vows were said, but not much after. Her virgin blood stained her wedding gown. I still feel like a dick about that. I wasn't born into money. My dad was a laborer, making concrete forms for bridges until he hurt his back. I worked as a teen at a local gravel pit, shoveling rocks into dump trucks, and then as a part-time construction worker in college during the summers before football camp started. After graduation, I did as many odd jobs as possible during the nights and weekends to get enough money to start an investment fund. I have calluses on my hands, and my manners aren't as polished as the Wall Street boys who grew up on the coast and attend Harvard and Yale. If I had had that upbringing, maybe I would have been able to control myself, to hold off long enough to get her dress off, lay her down on a bed of roses, and softly, gently take Charlie. But she doesn't inspire soft feelings in me. Instead, I'm filled with animalistic desires to hold, conquer, possess. I hate seeing her talk with other men, even the clerks at the convenience store, or the gas attendant who fills her Land Rover. I know it's wrong, but I still hate it. I scrape a hand through my hair, and then circle the house to see if I can find some wood for the fireplace. The wind is picking up, and there's a sharpness in the air that smells of snow. In a lean-to next to the cabin, there's a small stack of cut logs. I pile them into my arms and bring them inside. Charlie is in the kitchen, elbow deep in the sink. She's done a lot of work in here while I've been mentally wanking myself outside. Looks good, I say, as I walk past her toward the fireplace. This is a nice place. It just needed some cleaning. Mrs. Cunningham used to live here. When I was a little girl, the older kids told me she was a witch 
and would eat you if you walked in her yard. I set the wood down and arranged a few pieces of kindling on the iron grates. Did you walk on her lawn to see? No, I was a good girl. She gives me a half smile. And a chicken. I stayed away, but Hank Porter did on a dare. He walked across her lawn for an entire week, and nothing happened to him. I try to keep my jaw from twitching at the name of some kid who poses zero threat to me. So she wasn't a witch. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Her lips turn up a tick higher. After that week of beating a path across Mrs. Cunningham's backyard, Hank broke his arm falling off his bike when he was riding to school. He swore that the sidewalk rose up and bit his tire to pieces, and that's why he crashed. Anyway, after that, we all believed she was a witch and stayed away. Her lips fall suddenly. I guess, though, she must have been lonely. No kids. No husband and everyone avoiding her. I should have brought her some cookies. You were a kid, Charlie. It wasn't your responsibility. I light the fire. Still. You were a kid, I repeat. I throw two logs on. She takes too much responsibility on herself. She's always overextending herself to help others and then getting run down because of it. Twice during the first six months of our marriage, I came home to find her nearly passed out from exhaustion, having covered the shifts of her co-workers, who always had more important things to do that they couldn't work. She was going to end up in the hospital at the rate she was going, so I told her she couldn't work anymore. I needed her at home. At first, she resisted, but I could see how good it was for her. She was no longer falling asleep at the dinner table, are nodding off in the middle of a movie. She started gaining weight and generally looking a lot healthier. For a while, it seemed like everything was going well. But somewhere along the road, our marriage got off track. And here we are with me trying to pull the locomotive back onto the rails and her trying to detach her car and go a different direction. If I have to blow up the whole world to keep her with me. I'll do that. Chapter Four Charlie I stare out the window, watching the snow start to come down more. My sister Marley texted me a bit ago and asked if we had enough supplies to last a few days, because an unexpected storm is rolling in quickly. She became the deputy of Winter Falls about six months ago, it was a bit surprising. She'd gotten a degree in social work, but so far she's been enjoying it. Everyone in town loves Marley. She's easy to love, except for some new man that moved into town. He's always calling the police station with a reason to get her out to his place. He's really crushing on her. She claims he's a grump. I think he's a bit in love with her. Not that I told Marley that. She'll need to learn that on her own. She can't seem to see herself how everyone else does. I'd been a bit surprised when Rowan asked for us to come out here to hash out some of the divorce details. I thought once we got everything situated that I'd be able to go spend Christmas with my family. 
I don't think that is going to happen now. Not only because of the snow, either. Rowan is up to something. As much as I love the town of Winter Falls, we never come here anymore. It's hard to make things work with Rowan's schedule. The man works so damn much. He's never home, and even when he is, it feels as if he's distracted. Though when I think back, it's hard to recall if he always worked that much, or if it started about the time I began to push away. I don't know how the past two years have felt both painfully slow, but are still a blur as if they'd gone by fast. Want me to make dinner? Rowan asks after he gets the fire going. A storm is rolling in. They said we'll be stuck here for a few days. It's Christmas. I wasn't planning on going anywhere. Maybe I was. I fold my arms over my chest. It's the only way I can try to maintain the wall between Rowan and me. I need to keep my guard up or we'll end up in bed together. I'm spending Christmas with my wife. Stop calling me that. I roll my eyes. No. It hurts! I snap. Rowan lifts his brows in surprise. What's gotten into you? What's that supposed to mean? What, you care that I have a backbone all of a sudden? For so long, I worried about making everyone happy but myself. Until one day, I decided that I was going to do what I thought was best for me. I was tired of waiting for Rowan to make me a priority in his life. I never knew if he's coming or going. He can be so hot one second and cold the next. I care a fucking lot. A slow smile pulls at his lips. It's sexy. I rather like it, he says, surprising me. He walks over to stand in front of me. I saw some Christmas decorations in the closet. How about I go get us a tree? If we're going to be stuck here, we might as well do it up. Rowan. I close my eyes, dropping my head to his chest. It doesn't matter how mad I might be. There is always this pull I have to him. I'm starting to see what's going on here. If I didn't know any better, I'd almost bet he set up this snowstorm. I know it's impossible to control Mother Nature, but I don't put anything past Rowan. Not when he's a man on a mission. I'm not sure what his plan is, but I know he has something up his sleeve. Please. That one word breaks my resolve. I simply nod my head in agreement because I know I'm fighting a losing battle. If we are going to be stuck here with each other for the next few days, we might as well make the best of it. A pang of sadness hits me out of nowhere at the thought of this being our last Christmas together. I want to come with you to pick out the tree. It's cold and it's really coming down. His brows furrow together. I'm not asking, Rowan. I tilt my chin up. I'm not a child. Trust me, I know you're far from a child, but I can't stop wanting to take care of you. I know. I shake my head. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with you, Rowan. But taking care of me doesn't mean putting me in a box to pull out when you want to play with me. 
He opens his mouth to say something, but closes it, seeming to think over his next words. I didn't know you felt that way. I do. That box gets lonely. Especially when I don't think you hear me. Charlie. No, that's not all on you. That's on me, too. Okay. Bundle up. I'll go check the shed I saw out back for an axe. I'll hurry. Without thinking, I lean up and kiss him before I dart back toward the bedroom where he put our bags. I quickly find something to wear and layer up. When I come out the front door, Rowan is stepping out of the shed with an axe over his shoulder. My husband has always been hot. His suits are always sexy on him, but right now, he's really pulling off that whole lumberjack thing. I swear he can pull any look off. From the first day I met him, I've been a bit shocked how into me he was. He wasn't only out of my league in the looks department, but everywhere, really. He was rich, educated, and extremely successful. Rowan could do anything he put his mind to. I'd been more than lost and always thought of myself as a bit homely back then. Except when I was in Rowan's arms. No matter how busy he might have been, whenever his eyes were on me, I felt like I was the sexiest woman in the world. That's the thing with Rowan. When he has all his attention on you, you'll never want to be anywhere else. But when it's gone, you'll never feel colder. I'd been a bit addicted to his obsession with me. I still am. In brief moments, I'll think I have it again. But as soon as I think I see it, he's gone. You got a hat? He calls, making his way toward me. In the car. I hop off the porch. It's slicker than I expected, and I slip falling a bit forward but catch myself on the fluffy snow with my hands. Charlie, Rowan shouts. I can hear the irritation in his voice. I'm sure it's really fear, but still. I'm okay. He rushes over toward me. I grip a handful of the snow in my palm and pop up before he's halfway across the yard. I nail him right in the chest with a snowball. He stops dead in his tracks, and his head drops to stare down at the snow stuck to the front of his very expensive coat. You want to play? A smirk pulls at his lips. I lean down and pick up another ball of snow. I think I do, I say, before I throw another one at him. He drops the axe, letting it fall into the snow. I watch as he bends down to grab his own handful of snow. I turn, taking off toward the woods. When will you learn, wife? He calls after me. You can run, but I will always chase. I pray he catches me soon. I'm not sure how much more I can bear. Welcome back. Hey, Leah listeners. Remember to check out the show notes below for everything to do with Oh Snowy Night, all the good stuff. Remember to check out the new release, Chasing You, that is the Little Sister Trope. 
Um, and the book that's free right now is The College Menage, The Three of Us. And if you like what you're listening to, Oh Snowy Night, make sure to check out Our Snowy Night is what you're listening to. Make sure to check out Oh Snowy Night, which is the <laughs> Lumberjack story in connection with this one. So make sure you do that. Enter this week's giveaway for the $50 gift card. And I think that's everything. That's it. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me 